to Care in the Love podcast. It's Annette and Mark Anderson, and we are so excited to have Dr. Christian Heim with us today. Thank you, doctor, for joining us. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Dr. Hyman is an award-winning psychiatrist, music professor, and Churchill Fellow. During his 20 years of continuing clinical practice, he has heard the stories of thousands of people. Combining science, entertainment, and large doses of Australian humor, he speaks from a place of deep compassion and authority on mental health issues that are affecting us all in this new normal. Anxiety, depression, addictions, personality issues, trauma, suicide, and relationship breakdown. His latest book, The Seven Love Types, Navigating Love in a Fractured World, has just been released. Dr. Heim, I am so thrilled to have you with us today and learn more about the seven types of of love. Well, thank you very much, Annette. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm thrilled to be here with you and Mark. And just by working together, uh, the two of you are already displaying one of those love types, and uh, it's already an inspiration for people out there to find more love in their lives. And I suppose that's what the book is about. So I don't know if we'd be doing this together if it weren't for the fact that during the last year, we've spent every waking moment together. Uh, you know, with, Good. And, and, and we're and, you still know, together. We, we still love each other. We've been married for 37 years, and uh, we're, we're still very much in love. Congratulations. And, 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 you know, well, thank, thank you. you. Maybe that's a great place to start is that we have seen so much during the last 13 months. Yes, we have. We've seen, uh, we've, we've seen difficulties. We, we've seen some triumphs as well there. But how would you characterize the last 13 months when it comes to mental health? Oh, oh, Mark, the, the last 13 months has just been a whirlwind. But I suppose one of the advantages in a really dire situation is that it's actually brought to light how bad our mental health already was, right? So so just as a really uh, shocking statistic, uh, suicide rates over the 20th century stayed more or less uh, on a plateau. But since 1999, the suicide rate over the last 20 years has risen by 33%. So, wow. so now that can have nothing to do with our genetic makeup or our biology. It has to be with how we're living. And uh, it's, it's one of those uh, statistics that we just can't deny. So even before the crisis of the last 13 months, our society has been moving in a direction which uh, I would say is characterized by more loneliness and less love. And that's what leads to these bad mental health outcomes. And we're not talking just about suicide. We're also talking about depression, anxiety, eating disorders, personality disorders, and the whole gamut. And so I suppose what I'm looking for in the seven love types is to reach back to, well, what's going to protect us from all of this? Because we actually do have scientific evidence that shows that love protects our mental health and it protects us from the ill effects of trauma. And I thank Dr. William Perry for his uh, work on that. Uh, and so if we can actually learn more about love and get more love back into our lives, I believe that our mental health rates uh, will start looking a whole lot better. You know, Annette and I just finished a five-mile walk a few minutes ago. All right. And uh, we, we try to do that as often <laughs> as we can. And Annette, you shared something interesting with me as we're talking about suicide. 
Uh, and 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 it was it was a great thought. Sure, sure. It, it was an interesting conversation I was having earlier today. Um, her name is Peggy Green, and her son took his life about two and a half years ago. Yeah, tragic. Yeah. And as we were talking, she said, as she has you know really studied and learned and going through this grief process and and helping. Others, you know, as well, because you kind of become this this community, this the, a club that you really don't want to be long in. And um, she said it was a, it's about the pain. It's not. It wasn't like they were trying to take their life, but it was about this pain that they couldn't endure anymore. But she talked about the love, yes, and the love of of realizing and recognizing what love could do, but also now for those that are left behind the love in, in healing and grieving and recognizing that that love couldn't really fix the mental health that she was dealing with, with her son in what he was dealing with. But she also knew that had he recognized it and if others could recognize that and embrace it, that it would help. Yes. In the situations. Yes. In fact, well, Peggy is actually doing one of the best things for her own mental health at the moment, Um, being around other people, helping other people in their journey, uh, and that helps her in her journey because it's a very painful journey when somebody that you love has taken their life. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, suicide and mental health are very complex topics, and uh, we, we tend to ask the question, why? Why did this happen? And uh, even as a psychiatrist who has journeyed with many people who have thought about taking their lives and some who actually have, and then journeying with family members left behind, uh, it becomes a painful conglomeration of a huge amount of complex factors. And the pain that people feel is actually a pain that's born of love. You see, if we didn't love each other, we wouldn't feel pain at the loss when somebody is uh, even out of town, all right? When, when somebody close to you is not by you, you feel a little bit of that pain. Well, dealing with something like suicide is an ultimate uh, pain in that respect. Not only are they a long way away, but they're not coming back. And, and that's, that's really hard. So the question is how can we um, harness all of our love to make sure that we don't have these outcomes in the first place. And unfortunately, we are living in a society that is uh, emphasising individualism in a very, very strong way. But what that individualism does is actually make us drift apart from the people close to us because we have to respect their individualism, don't we? You know, Whereas, yeah. yeah, yeah, because as you know, in a relationship, being in a relationship uh, can sometimes mean making concessions, all right, and putting up with somebody who's just being an emotional jerk or just being themselves, okay? But (laughs) that takes energy and it takes understanding and it also takes time. It sure does. One of the things that for me in this last 13 months is that that disconnect and not being able to connect with others Yes. I love I love people. Yes. I love being being around others and connecting. And 
it was so hard for me to learn how to adjust to to not being able to physically connect yes. and i and, and to and it was hard on me you know I, all of a sudden i i realized i was more anxious i i even was feeling depressed and i couldn't you know the things that i typically did if i was you know getting down and and struggling maybe in in life is i would go do something for someone else. Yes. And it would always, you know, lift me up. And so to not have that ability because of the pandemic and, and we needed to, to be cautious and follow the rules so that we could all hopefully get back to, to living a healthy lifestyle again. Yes. Um, it was difficult, yes. but I recognized how, what the, that effect of not being able to connect yes. and actually love people yes. in the way that I was accustomed to had on me. And so I can only imagine for those that are alone, what that did to them. You know, luckily Mark and I are happy and we were here together and, but to be alone, completely alone and not have that, it just has to do some real, real damage. And emotionally all that i can say is me too all right i'm getting depressed i'm getting anxious because i am by nature a people person <clears throat> and it's not just that i want to be around people <clears throat> excuse me i actually need to be around people and at the moment um uh, my practice my psychiatric practice is uh is over the internet so i i see people but it's like i can't quite feel them or uh, pick up all those little nuances and mm -hmm. there's a lot of energy that happens between people's brains when they see each other, look into each other's eyes or uh, just look at facial expressions and uh, body gestures and it doesn't get picked up over the internet. So I, I'm finding it really hard to imagine how people who are living alone are coping and unfortunately, we don't have the numbers yet, but we do know from uh, even anecdotal evidence. So in other words, things that we just hear from other people, that there are more suicides, that there are more cases of domestic violence, that there are more cases of relationship breakdown. There is more uh, depression and anxiety. And uh it's really hard to know how to cope with all of this. Society is changing in a huge way. And I believe that the way that we're going to practice psychiatry is going to change in a huge way as a result, because this is a social condition that is leading to really bad outcomes. And one of them is a lack of love, you know. Right. So there's a lot of hope out there. You know, we, we, we're 13 months into this. We're looking at uh, hopefully during the summertime, uh, we'll see. We'll see some uh, some resolve. Uh, I, I know that uh, here in Utah, there's the mask mandate is going away in a few in a few weeks. Yes. Now that's all fine and good, but that doesn't really that doesn't really solve the problem. Uh, true. Not. That's true. There's not. the 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 problem I think that we're dealing with, and you talk about new norms, and in some ways, uh, you know, we we don't want to go back. Because uh, I think that we've found in in ourselves a sense of resilience, perhaps that that uh, maybe we wouldn't have found any other way. Yes. But at the same time, 
uh, you know, we, we, we're still dealing, and I, and, I, and I like what you said about the fact that we're all dealing with these issues. It's not just the weak that are dealing with anxiety issues. It's not the weak that are dealing with people issues. It's all of us because we are having to do things differently. So my question to you would be, how can we gain a greater amount of resilience in our lives so that when we have these experiences in our lives, whether it be a pandemic, whether it be a loss of, of someone that we love, whether it be sickness or whatever the case might be, a loss of a job, how can we become more resilient? Okay. Uh, now, you've touched upon a lot of things there, Mark, and I will. T- <laughs> I, I know. I know. <laughs> That's good. But I just want to pick up on a few very important things. The first thing that you did was you separated the problem of the pandemic from the greater problem that we're going through. And uh, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Uh, if we solve the problem of the pandemic uh, and it, we solve the economic problem and we get back to things the way they were, have we solved the problem that we're talking about now? And I don't think we have because there is a problem of uh, a lack of expressing love uh, to each other in our society. That was there before the pandemic. And if there's something that the pandemic has done that's uh, really shaken us uh, in a very positive way, and that's for us to value each other uh, because we have been taking each other for granted for such a long time. We take it for granted that we can smile at people, say hello, that we live in, in safe communities and that we can work with each other and cooperate towards wanting something, okay? So now we can't take that for granted. We go, you know what, I'm even missing that person at work that used to bug me with whatever they were bugging you with, okay? I'd rather see that person again, thank you. In fact, you may smile at the way they bug at you and go, I actually like that person. I thought that I would <laughs> but I actually do. So, so that's one take home from the pandemic that has helped. And I, uh, I, I would like all of society to be able to keep that lesson, to say, okay, uh, if, if we get on top of the pandemic, on top of the economics, how can we keep valuing each other in all of that again, because if we go back to our hyper-individualism, wanting just what we want and all of our wonderful experiences, and we leave each other behind, then we're actually going to see another wave of mental health issues because people will go, oh, it's all better now, but I'm not feeling better. And if we don't have mechanisms with which to work, we won't actually get there. All right, so so you asked about resilience. How can we actually become more resilient and uh, cope with personal losses and cope with what we're going through? And I suppose uh, this is one of the reasons that I wrote the book, The Seven Love Types, because uh, to be resilient, we have to be aware of so many things that we are actually not aware of. And although science has made many strides in the last 20, 25 years on the brain chemicals that mediate trust and love and forgiveness and gratitude, right, um, actually knowing what love is, okay, in, in fact, I, I talk to many people that won't even mention the word love because the word love has become a four-letter word or a, a word that just Uh, encapsulate something that doesn't exist anymore. There isn't real love out there. And that is really sad because when I say that, it is, it's very sad. Uh, Okay, so you've been together 37 years, okay? So congratulations. That is an expression of what started off as an eros type of love, a romantic love. 
but it's grown so much more. And uh, often the way that we speak about love, let's say just between couples in society, is to think of the romance. And uh, when you've been together with somebody for a while, you know that there's friendship there as well. There's a strong sense of belonging. There's a strong sense of where we guide each other through life. And these are all, according to the ancient Greeks, different love types. So one of the keys to resilience, to finding resilience in ourselves, is knowing about these different love types and actually treasuring these different love types uh, rather than uh, equating love with sex or love with romance and missing all that glue that we I won't say that we're missing, but we used to have more of it in society. And when we all became individuals wanting to get out there, having our careers, we took it for granted. You see, because we all thought that we'd become that person that would do well in life and then come back to our hometown in the Midwest and say, look what I've done, right? But you see, everybody else in that Midwest town is also on their journey. So there's nobody left in the town to just be there to support each other. So we've got to find a way of expressing love so that we can be there with each other and for each other once more. And that will help in our resilience. So so can we get into the seven love types? We can get into the seven love types, yes. <laughs> How far do you want to get into? Three, four? Do you want to go the whole seven, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how far we can get. But before we get there, you talk about the different types of of love and and how they're the you know the glue yes that's you know the different things that you're talking about are what enhances the overall love for me the romantic love the the sex all of that it's because of those different types of love that make the other love even better yes yes does that make sense yes it makes makes total sense because love begets love okay And um, I've got to talk about seven different love types so that we can discuss what's actually going on. But but one helps the other so that you can actually feel like you have more love in your life. Okay, so so I I talk about the science of love where we we piece together the brain chemicals that are being released, uh, how love is good for survival, how we go about uh, finding a mate and how we go through a process of first of all, being uh, uh, sexually desirous towards each other and then uh, forming an attraction to one person and then forming an attachment over a longer period of time. And as we know scientifically, that's all really good for survival. But that doesn't articulate the different ways that we express love in our lives. And so for that, I went to the ancient Greeks who they didn't just have the one word love, they actually have at least a dozen words for love, right? So if Mm -hmm. we take friendship love, friendship is a type of love. The Greek word is philia. And so we get words like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly affection, okay? Mm -hmm. Or hydrophilic, which is a scientific term that basically means I like water, okay? Uh, Or you get people who are Francophiles, they like things that are French. They are friends of the French, if you like. Well, friends is a type of love, but it's a very different type of love than, a, than an erotic romantic love. But that doesn't mean that scientifically it's not good for survival. We know that having friends 
is mutually beneficial for survival. And it, we need the cohesion for all of us to remain together. Let's put it this way. As friends, we will survive better than if we're all enemies, okay? So yes. uh, that is a scientific statement. But science does igno- doesn't acknowledge the seven love types. Yet in our lives, we will experience all these different love types. Okay. I like that. Yes. And I love my friends. Yes. And like you said, it's very different, but that, that's definitely a different, you know, one of the love types. Yes. And that, that's exactly right. Uh, you love your friends. That doesn't mean that you're going to have sex with them for survival. Okay. Because it's a different right. type of love. In fact, the, uh, the purest love, in a sense, is the love that a mother has for a child. Okay. And I do say a mother, particularly there, because we were all physically connected to a biological mother. And uh, when you see that connection, it is very, very strong. And that connection specifically is the basis of one of the leading scientific uh, theories on love, which is called attachment theory, that a baby by itself would not survive. Every baby needs to have at least a mother or a mother figure. So uh, another person, or it can, of course, be the father that's giving it that motherly love, but it wouldn't survive without it. In fact, we have scientific evidence to show that babies that are not reared with love experience a whole lot more sickness. And in in foundling homes, so orphanages of 100 years ago, these babies would actually die. Okay, so... So I'm actually saying that love is essential for our life, let alone our resilience or our enjoyment. It is essential for life. It is not an optional extra. Uh, and and that's, that's what the science is showing. Well, but that's a different love, isn't it? The, the love between a mother and a child than uh, a love between a, a, a couple. So the Greek word for that is actually storge love, which is a belonging sort of a love. It's the family love. The child, the baby, belongs to a family. It belongs to a unit that will have other children, that will have parental figures, and it will belong to a greater network of a family, grandparents, cousins, uncles and aunties. And these networks are so great that you can start to see that we're part of a greater network. Let's say we call the network the United States of America, right? There are over 300 million people that believe that belong to this greater family called the United States of America. Now, there are family squabbles, all right, okay, and you'll get on better with some people than with others, but either the whole of the United States is going to survive well or the whole of the United States is going to suffer. So if we're aware that we have this belonging love to something greater than ourselves, we may begin to nurture it. We may begin to think, hold on, we've got to take care of the United States of America. And then, of course, we can get quite global with all of that as well. So it goes on. So that's another one of the love types. Stalk- you, you know, I, I, think you, I think you bring a great point up there uh, in the fact that, that uh, too often you, you, look at, uh, you, you look at a people as a, as, as a collection there and uh, – 
And as you look at people, the, the concern that you see is that uh, everything is so polarized yes. right now. Yes. Whether it's the news, whether it's wh- whatever is happening is so polarized. And uh, as you look at that, uh, it, it seems to be that there's more of a common fate today than there was maybe years ago when you didn't have that polarization. Yes, 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 yes. In, in fact, uh, we are now more closely bound to each other. And uh, thanks to the Internet, uh, we're more aware of how closely bound we are to each other, okay? We will actually gasp at some of the things that Italy and France are going through at the moment because they're part of our world. It's going to affect us one way or the other. It's a bit hard to have our head in the sand and say, we're all right, okay? Oh, there's some poor people that are doing poorly because <clears throat> we see that we're part of the same family. However, the polarization means that we're actually, it actually seems like we're caring less for the person on the street who disagrees with our point of view, whatever our point of view happens to be. And actually, one of the points I want to make is people are not the problem. The problem now is that we have so much information that we can carve our information and uh, and funnel our information to people who want to hear certain information And so we're starting to funnel information so that we're creating these groups of people that just listen to their favorite information, which means we're actually fragmenting. And that's that's part of the reason that I called the book Navigating Love in a Fragmented World, right? Hmm. We're actually supposed to all be on the same page, but we're actually not. So the problem has to do with our information distribution rather than with people. So so that's rather... Rather daunting when you when you think about that. Uh, it, it, how do you get out of that uh, and become more of a uh, move towards the center? You know, I I know that uh, we we're all different yeah. and we all have opinions, but at the same time, uh, that, that that concerns me because it seems like we're going in different directions and we're and we're doing that more and more. How how do we find that common ground? Uh, that's actually very difficult, and that's that's a problem that we uh, need to solve about uh, our interaction with social media. Uh, Because, as you know, social media is a mixed blessing. It allows us to to do wonderful things like we're doing right now. I mean, when else do I get the opportunity to talk to to people uh, in in Utah? You know, I mean, this is just absolutely amazing. But the problem is that it is so large, so big, that we can all choose what we want. And then there are mechanisms for the social media to tune into what we want and feed us more of what we want. And so we are actually, all of us, going down little rabbit holes of uh, information that other people are not always going down. And, and yes, there is this polarization, uh, mainly uh, between left and right. And I suppose this takes us to one of the other loves, uh, and the Greek love is what we call Xenia love. Uh, now, the Greek god Zeus uh, was known as uh, Zeus Xenios because he was a protector of foreigners and strangers. And so uh, rather than see people with whom you disagree as people just out there, strangers, I don't care about them, there is a type of love to cultivate towards people who are strangers. And so this has to do with respect. This has to do with when you first sit down with somebody, there's a few niceties of saying, hi, my name is this, I do this. Or you sit down with a drink because well, it's, it's hard to go for your sword or your weapons while you've got a cup of coffee in your hand, okay? Uh, 
and and uh, also things like hospitals. Hospitals, uh, by definition, the word hospital means uh, showing love to strangers. Hosting is what you do for strangers. And so we have all these little rituals. Uh, let's say when we go visit each other, uh, we will bring on a little gift. Well, the whole idea of these gifts came from the Greek idea for stranger love, xenia, because hosting somebody, you could actually be saving somebody's life. So they would bring you a gift, and uh, this gift would be accepted, and there would be things shared before you got to know the person, just because you were two human beings trying to get through this crazy thing called life. So we need some more of that. We do need a lot more of that Xenia love. I, um, I, I'm thinking so much about there are so many things going through my mind, but it, like you said, it's back down to respect. Yes. It's caring. It's, it's just showing, showing anyone that we meet on the street, at the grocery store, in the you know in the market anywhere that respect yes. for just being another human being yes and giving that zinia love yes really can save their life yes it can or if you bump into somebody in a shopping queue and you just go oh i'm sorry okay just that little interaction is a little bit of zinia love uh it lets them know that they bumped into a human being and that human being has feelings and you made it okay straight away, right? But if, if, if you go through life just bumping into people and uh, not interacting with them, you've missed the opportunity for the Xenia love. And when we're in a society that feels more like that, uh, it helps to articulate uh, the, the Xenia love, which is why I wrote this book, so that we can be more conscious of it, so that we can go, you know what, next time I'm out shopping, I'll just be a little bit more polite and show a bit respect of people who who need it, quite frankly. So, so Dr. Christian, do we have uh, a strength, maybe with one of those seven loves? Uh, do yeah. each of us have a different kind of strength? Yeah, this is a, a really uh, interesting question because uh, let, let's say a couple relationship, okay? So the relationship that you're in. Yes, you've got the romantic love, but you will have some friendship love there as well. Uh, you need to show each other some respect. So there's some uh, Xenia uh, love there as well. You've got Storge belonging love, and you guide each other in mentoring love. So there's, there's the gamut of all uh, seven love types in a relationship, okay? And uh, particularly when I'm working with couples, there are some couples that have a very strong friendship that has built up, okay? Or there is a, a, a couple that really want to keep the romance going. And the thing is that society basically hammers the romance as though that's the only thing you've got to have going in your relationship, you know. Whereas uh, we talked about respect, people that can actually allow each other just to be themselves sometimes, uh, be alone or express their opinions without hounding them down, you know. That's respect uh, because you're, you're not even going to agree with the closest person to you. Uh, and then... As a couple that's been together for a long time, you naturally grow belonging love, the storge love, that we just kind of belong together. So couples will find that they have a particular strength. Friendship is our strength. 
or respect is our strength. And then each of us as people, you know, there's just some people, we have friends that are just so good at hosting. Where If you want to go to a dinner party or um, a, a, a coffee afternoon or something where there will be strangers that you've never met before, this person will just do it right so that everybody feels comfortable. <laughs> is that a net, is it? <laughs> well, that's, that's a strength. That's a gift to be able to make people feel comfortable in an uncomfortable situation, all right? Whereas somebody else will go, you know what, I'm actually a good mentor. I'm actually good at guiding people and just helping them through to get what they want. And you actually see this in businesses. Uh, sometimes, let's say, in a law firm, there will be a partner that goes, you know, these junior guys, they just need a bit of guidance here and there because uh, they think they're going to change the world, but, you know, let me just guide them here. And so people will remember this one law partner as a great mentor who showed them the ropes, but caringly, not just for the business, but for an interaction as human beings. So, yeah, Mark, I believe we all have different strengths in these loves as well. Great, great. I, I just have to ask you this now. It's, you know, we, we've, we've been talking about some pretty heavy things here. Yeah. And, and uh, when, when we think of psychiatrists, we, we think of the Sigmund Freud types, you know, the, you know there, there's just not a lot of, uh, uh, I, I don't know, maybe there's a stereotype there. But <laughs> as I've read about you, as I've read about you, you have different therapy types yes, or different therapy uh, ideals there, whether it's uh, Australian humor, which, by the way, I want to know what Australian hum humor is, <laughs> or to our guests, if, if, you haven't, uh, if you haven't seen Dr. Uh, Christian's you are a masterful piano player, and and I, I'm curious as to what your thoughts are with humor as medicine as well as uh, music therapy. Okay. So I'm going to start off with music therapy because I did some research in that area because, I mean, oh, my gosh, I, I had been working as a professor of music at a university, and then I do a medicine degree, all right? So for some strange reason, I think maybe I should look at the interaction of this area. And so, so the Churchill Fellowship allowed me to go to Europe and to go to various hospitals where they were using music therapy. And I was astounded by what I saw and what a difference music makes. For example, I went to a psychiatric hospital where every Friday all the doctors, the nurses, the staff, and all the people who were in there seeking help, they were working together as part of a choir. And they were singing together as a choir. And if you've ever sung in a choir, the feeling is as soon as you hit a note together, that person that you had a disagreement with a day ago, that disagreement just melts away because you're singing the same note. It is incredibly powerful. Uh, in Australia, uh, we may play a game of football more. Uh, let's say uh, we had these football games between uh, doctors from various hospitals, okay? Uh, not always a good idea because things can go wrong, but it's an expression of love, camaraderie. Hey, we're in this thing together. Let's just enjoy ourselves, okay? So we do have evidence that music helps. But compared to the evidence that we had for laughter, oh, my gosh, there is so much evidence that laughter brings your blood pressure down that it releases feel-good brain chemicals, particularly beta endorphins. Uh, uh, okay, so they did this study of people who went in to see a movie. 
uh, called Saving Private Ryan, all right? And so some pretty strong images there. Yeah. And then they got another group of people who went in and saw a Disney movie, right, that was a hit comedy, something like Herbie Goes to Monte Carlo. Uh, <laughs> if I ask you who came out of that with the lower blood pressure, okay, it's not it's not too hard to see that, sorry, going, uh, going to Monte Carlo with Herbie is going to put you in a better frame of mind. So uh, really during this time, find your comedies, listen to the stand-up comedy, uh, watch the funny movies, find silly ways to laugh with the people that you're with. Even if you pretend laugh, we actually have studies to show that if you pretend to smile, right, your, your brain is going to go, oh, we must be in a better mood than I thought that we were. Release some good chemicals. So for people who didn't grow up with a sense of humor, just try. Just give it a go. Just pretend, okay? Soon you will form a wonderful habit of laughing because here's the thing. Laughing is infectious. And we humans have brains that are connected with each other. And so laughter from one human just naturally infects another human with the same laughter. I have to make an observation. Uh, <laughs> I know. And Annette, has a, with a smile Annette, Annette has a nickname. Her, her nickname is Laffy Taffy. <laughs> and and uh, she, she's known by a lot of people as Laffy Taffy. I am. And, and uh, we, we had a tragic situation in our family where we lost our 21-year-old son 10 years ago. And, and during that time, uh, there, I, I remember a time when someone came up to Annette and said, you're living a lie. And, and, and she said, why? Why do you think that? And she said, because you're smiling and you're happy yeah. while well, you should be grieving. Yeah. Uh, I, so I, I think you've got something there in the fact that, uh, you know, the endorphins that we get from uh, from from laughing are, are critically important, especially during stressful times. Yeah, they definitely are. And it's something that made a difference in my life and mm -hmm. how I chose. It was a, it was a conscious choice Yes. that I wanted to find that happiness. I wanted to be able to genuinely laugh and. And it made a difference yeah. in in my overall well-being. And it made a difference in grieving. And deep down, you know, I knew that that our son wanted us to be happy again. Yes. We were sad because he was gone, but yes. he had suffered for so many years with a brain tumor. It was you you couldn't you couldn't live seeing him suffer either. And so but we we learned in our family that laughter was the best medicine and we mm -hmm. often people would come over and it could be a serious thing going on, but they would see us laughing together. Yes. And, yeah. and that's how we got through it. So Annette, if I, if I may ask, um, before that experience, were you a, 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 a laughy taffy? She was always I, a laughy taffy. I was a laughy taffy. <laughs> okay. And I, and my laugh is, is is part of our signature signature it really is it is you know it's one of those things that it's just uh, i have this laugh that's a little loud and and um i can never lose her because i can always listen for the laugh <laughs> okay well that, that's wonderful so that's a strength that you have and i would say it's even a gift that you have so of course you're going to use this 
uh, it doesn't mean that you're not grieving for your for your son, because an experience like that, it stays with you. But but uh, but it, it's unfortunate that people think that oh. Um, uh, you're either happy or you're sad. Or if this has happened, then you must be like that. Because each of our lives is so complex and each of our minds is so deep uh, that there are so many possibilities that, firstly, you can be grieving and still be laughing. And the other thing is, well, why stop laughter because of a sad event when I can use laughter as part of my resilience to overcome the grief that I sometimes feel. So, so, Dr. Christian, what would you say to the person that says, I can never be happy again? Okay. So um, the first thing that I actually do is listen, because if somebody is saying that, there is a good reason why they're saying that. Okay. Uh, and so it may end up that maybe they can't be happy again, or maybe at this point in time, they feel like they will never be happy again, right? But what happens is during the listening process, <clears throat> uh, my brain makes a connection with their brain to understand what they mean by that uh, uh, statement and what they're actually experiencing. And I get the privilege of walking with them in their grief or whatever they're going through. And while we make that walk together, we're able to find something to sort of go, well, what if we try this? And so what happens is uh, one brain and another brain are connecting in trust. And if they've come to see me, then we're already sharing a type of love called mentorship because I have something that will help guide this person. And by building up that trust through listening first, they then have um, more faith in me and some of the things that I may say, and I don't get it right all the time, but if I gently lead per, uh, somebody down a particularly useful path and it brings them some results, then that brings them more hope. And with that hope, they will then take a few more steps to find even more hope so that even if life is really horrendous, you can still be walking in hope. Hmm. That's that really is beautiful. And it goes along with our mission at Care and the Load. Yes. The the reason we created this this community um, is completely just goes right along with what you're saying there in helping others walking through this path, down, you know, this road together, on their journeys, helping them recognize they're not alone. That's right. Someone has been there before them. Yes. And and even though the exact circumstances are different. Yes. It's okay. The, the love, the principles, the tools, the hope yes. is there. Yes. And... And we are just grateful for individuals like you who are willing to share your gifts and to teach others about hope and love and encouragement, not only in your profession, but here on our podcast. 
and you know through different venues. It's amazing to me, and it's quite miraculous that here through the internet, we can be talking to you and be just filled with love yeah. and yeah. and and knowledge and inspiration that will help us go forward in our mission of loving others and and helping them on their journeys. So thank you so much. And it, thank you so much. You said some wonderful things there because you're right. We all carry a load. And uh, because unfortunately, there's a lot of suffering in this life. But that suffering is eased when we help each other carry that load with love, with friendship, with a bit of guidance, with whatever way we can connect. And, and it, it's just been my privilege to connect with you. And uh, it'd be lovely to do this again sometime with Caroline here as well. Each of us have a story to share. Author Brene Brown reminds us that owning our story is the bravest thing you will ever do. The stories and experiences our guests share inspire us, as well as help us to grow and connect with others. We invite you to become a part of Karen the Load community through social media, as well as to share the site with those you know. We are stronger together. Keep Karen. <laughs>